did omit to mention a card that we've received, and it makes it worse since it's from my own wife. Uh, but it just says, to the elders, the deacons, members, and friends of Lurgan Baptist, I want to thank you all sincerely for your sympathy expressed on my dad's passing. And my dad often talked about the blessing of being part of a church family, and it is especially at times like this I understand what he was expressing. I was so touched by all the thoughtful cards and texts in the many kind and practical ways that people sought to be a blessing to our family over the last number of weeks. We especially appreciate the many faithful prayers on our behalf and have known the sustaining grace of God as a fruit therefrom. Like Dad's favorite hymn said, he has been led through the valley to the mountain height, out of bondage into freedom and into cloudless light. And someday we look forward to a sweet reunion. Sincerely, Jessica. And we do sincerely appreciate the love and support of the fellowship over these last number of weeks. Returning then to Ephesians in the chapter 2 this morning, please. Ephesians in the chapter 2. We're going to take a reading from one verse in this chapter, and then we're going to back up into chapter 1. And we're continuing our thoughts in this theme of prayer, and we're praying that the Lord will continue to bless us even as we study therein. But in Ephesians in the chapter 2 and the verse 4, it tells us, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us. And this is a remarkable chapter if you know anything about this second chapter of the book of Ephesians, for it's, of course, a word of testimony, as it were, that is applicable to and can be rehearsed by every believer. Because this is Paul's teaching on what God has done in each of our lives. And it all centers upon, I believe, that phrase that's given to us at the beginning of that verse 4, but God. It's all a result, remember, of a cry of a heart. Because as a sinner recognizes their need, the fact that they were dead in trespasses and sins, the fact that they do walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and had their conversation even amongst the children of men in the times past in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, when they do so, but God. Now, we know, of course, that as chapter 2 unfolds, it goes on to rehearse to us the great change that is effected. But part of that change is found for us also in the chapter 1 and the verse 15. Because Paul is able to testify of the reality of the transforming grace of an almighty God. And he does so in prayer. Read with me in the verse 15 of the chapter 1. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints. Paul affirms that a change has been affected in the lives of the believers to whom he writes. Many, he will have first-hand knowledge of who they were before they came to Christ, and of who they now are because of the change that Christ has made in their lives. 
And so in the verse 15 of chapter 1, he says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, after I heard of that but God moment that you came to in your own personal experience, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of, God, of him that filleth all in all. Amen. Now, as we come to this passage this morning, we do so. Being able, I trust, in each of our hearts and lives to testify that we too have experienced that but God moment. There has been that time in our lives whenever we too have acknowledged that we are dead and trespasses and sins, that we in and of ourselves cannot do anything to change what is the reality, the spiritual reality within. We've bowed the knee and cried before a God who sees us, knows us, and loves us for the change that only He can affect. And so we come to this this morning, this prayer that's recorded for us here in Ephesians in the chapter 1. Why? Because it's a reminder to us of that great privilege, that great access, and that great burden that should be in all of our hearts as we have known the change of what God has done. And this is all a precursor to a message that we're going to come to on what it means to be in the presence of God. You see, our studies already have touched our hearts, I pray, that as we have dwelt upon the themes of prayer and indeed some of the truths that we have derived from the Word of God, that our prayer lives have already been enriched because of what God has revealed to us in His Word. But as this study progresses, I want to mention what is the great potential of agreement in prayer. We're going to come and consider that night whenever Peter was released from prison and how Rhoda came to the door and couldn't believe what, who was on the other side of the door. I want to also look at sorrows and burdens and tears in prayer. I want to also think about sin and coldness of heart and perhaps one of the most prevailing obstacles to prayer, our own unbelief. But God willing, next week we want to bring a message which details to us what it means to be in the presence of God. Not what it means to know God's presence in our lives, but what it means for us 
to enter into the presence of God whenever we come before him in prayer. And it's a message that truly has stretched me in his preparation. Why? Because there's much mysticism and spiritualization of texts that could be engaged in. But there is a biblical truth and there is a biblical uh, pattern whenever the Word of God clearly reveals to us of what it means to enter into the presence of God. So we come to this this morning. Why? Because what we find in Paul's prayer here Paul's prayer for believers who have known a but God experience in their own hearts, in their own lives, what they must come to greater knowledge of if they are truly to enter in. And I believe that remains true for us, that as we seek to engage in the activity of prayer, as we seek to come before the Lord, as we seek to enter into His presence, that there are things that we must come to greater knowledge of in our own lives. First thing that we see in this passage as we consider truly and search our own hearts once more in regards to just the quality of our prayer lives. Well, we first of all must get to know his person more. That's given to us in the verse 17 and 18. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I believe that Paul here is reminding the Ephesian believers that his desire for them and their desire in their own hearts and lives should be to know more of the person of God. God has revealed to us in his word. Throughout the words of Scripture, we have that revelation that God has given to, to us that we might understand more and more of who He is. We might know more of His character. We might understand more of how He works, how He communicates with us, and how He has a desire that He seeks to see fulfilled in each of our lives. And that is all given to us in His Word. And so as you and I spend time in the Word of God, we are spending time in that by which we can get to know God more and more. And the reality is that as we come to this subject this morning and as we consider getting to know God more, you and I know as much about God as we desire to know. Because all that is contained in His Word is His complete revelation that is given off Him and of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and of His desire for our lives and of how He works in this world. And it's a completed canon of Scripture. It's a completed revelation. 
And so as we come and we hold in our hands and we possess in our homes this infallible, unchanging, inerrant Word of God, we have in our possession that by which we can come to know Him more. But the reality is that you and I, as we sit here in this building this morning, we know about as, as much about God as we desire to know. And that is manifest in how often we come to the Word of God and how deep we dive into the Word of God. Now, Paul had a great desire that I might know him when he spoke of Christ. And he might not only know him, but he might know the, even the depth of his sufferings, and he might be a fellow partaker of all that Christ had done on his behalf. And so Paul reveals to us, even in those words of Scripture, and as we make our way through the New Testament, we come to this understanding that God is not only revealed in his word, but he's also revealed in his Son. God was manifest in flesh. As the Son came into this world, He not only was the one who came to purchase our salvation, He not only was the one who came to do the work that His Father had come to do, but He was the one who testified as He ministered here on earth that I and my Father are one. He was God in flesh. So as we come to know Him, as we daily live our lives for Him, as we begin to be more and more conformed to the image of Him, we are progressing then in our knowledge of Him. But once more, you and I know as much about the Son as we desire to know. Because it's not God who's unwilling to conform us. It's not God that places a barrier or a roadblock in our way when it comes to having a greater knowledge of Him. It's our unwillingness to be conformed. It's our unwillingness to truly live our lives in complete submission to Him, seeking to manifest Him in what we say and what we do to an unbelieving world. Therefore, not only are we those who determine how much we know about God because we are those who determine how much time we spend in His Word, but we are also those who determine how much we know about His Son. Why? Because we are those who determine just how great an effect the work, the finished work of His Son will have in our lives. But Paul here expresses a very sincere and a very clear desire that God might grant unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And if you and I are to go further in prayer, if you and I are to know what it is truly to enter into the presence of God and there to begin to have an effective prayer life, then it begins with getting to know more of His person. Verse 18, he says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. 
Simply the idea is there that a light begins to shine. Remember, that's what he testifies of in the chapter 2. All who come to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, well, they have limited knowledge before their salvation experience. But it's the light of the gospel that breaks forth. It's the light of the gospel that truly enters in. And the eyes of our understanding at that moment are opened to our great need of a Savior. And so by faith we call upon Him asking for repentance of sin and asking for, or for forgiveness of sin and for that forgiveness of sin that only He can provide, assuring us of a home in heaven. But as we continue in our Christian lives then, it is God's desire through His Word and through our coming to knowledge of His Son more and more as He works in our lives and as we seek to live our lives for Him that our understanding is more and more enlightened, that more and more light enters in, that we grasp a hold in an even greater way of the work that He has accomplished in our behalf. That understanding then helps us to know what is the hope of His calling, Paul says. You see, whenever we're saved, we become that part, that vital part of God's eternal purposes in Christ. Remember, of course, that Christ it was who came to purchase the salvation. Why? So we could be reconciled unto God. And being reconciled unto God, then we have even a mandate to see His will fulfilled in our lives and to see His Word progress in our world. And the hope of the calling that Paul is referring to here is the understanding that as you and I come to knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that we enter in to being part of that fulfillment of the eternal purposes of God in our world, in our generation. And so coming to know Him more, coming to know His Son more, helps us to see our place and his plan reveals to us that we're not just a name. We're not just a number. Our salvation isn't just incidental. That you and I, as part of the family of God, you and I, even as individual believers who have come to a knowledge of God, then you and I have a purpose to fulfill for the glory of God. It's not only the hope of His calling that we are enlightened to, that the truth of who He is and the truth of who His Son is enlightens us to know it's the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. This is the part that confuses so many of us. Why? Because to think, 
that we who were once dead in our sins and trespasses are now trophies of His grace, are now that which brings Him great delight, are now that which has been described as simply His jewels, Whenever the Lord Jesus Christ returns, he, recur- he returns to gather home his jewels. And so God has a purpose and a plan for our lives that as we come to greater knowledge of him, as we come to greater knowledge of his Son, that is revealed more and more to us that we have greater understanding of how we can live and serve him in this world. But there's also that greater assurance of who we are in Christ. Of the fact that we are those trophies. Trophies of His grace. Those upon whom He has showered a peculiar love. In sending His Son to die for us. And so entering into the presence of God, it's getting to know more of His person but it's also acknowledging more of his power. Because in the verse 19 it says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward? And you and I can rehearse to others, no doubt, even as we touched upon this morning, we heard touched upon this morning in our children's talk, uh, how that God's great power was seen in the work of creation. How that simply by the word of his power, he created all things that are in this world and he sustains them thereby. How that he breathed into man and he became a living soul, having created him from the very dust of the ground. And we see his power displayed day and daily in our world. As we behold the changing seasons, as we see the weather systems come and go, as we behold our own bodies which are fearfully and wonderfully made. We see his power demonstrated, of course, in the salvation of others. How that he breaks the power of cancel sin. But when it comes to the revelation of his power, and when it comes to the acknowledging of the greatness of his power to us, this is truly where it takes on a more meaningful and a more, uh, as it were, personal understanding. Because the greatness of his power to us is in the scene in the fact that he sent his son to die for you. To die for me. And yes, it's one thing to acknowledge the great creative power of our God. It's one thing to acknowledge the great sustaining power of our God. But it's an entirely different thing to comprehend and to begin to ponder in our own hearts the greatness of His power in saving our sin-sick souls. It's all done in Christ says in verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That redemptive work of our God is seen in not only sending his Son into the world, not only seen, of course, in the accepting of the finished work of his Son, but that finished work, of course, was in no greater way and in no greater visible way accepted than when he was raised from the dead. And ascending to be with his Father, he is now set 
at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he's far above all principalities, far above all power and might and dominion. He's far above every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. The greatness of his power is seen in what Christ has done. The greatness of his power is seen on where Christ is seated. The greatness of his power is seen in who Christ is. The greatness of his power is seen in the truth that Christ is coming again. And as he lives, we shall live also. You see, the world that is no doubt a testimony of the creative power of our God, well, one day that world is going to be folded away like a vesture. He is going to make all things new. The daily provisions that you and I rejoice in, well, they'll take on a whole new meaningful existence in the world which is to come. And I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man what God hath prepared for those who love him. But as you and I desire to know more about God here in our lives as we desire to enter in, then you and I must acknowledge more and more of the greatness of his power to usward. Because it's that which gives us hope that transcends time. And it's that which allows us then to truly enter in to what it means to be a believer. To what it means to have been saved and one day to look forward to being saved from the very presence of sin and enter in to His eternal presence. The greatness of His power us to usward is what is more meaningful and significant as we seek to day by day enter into His presence. So entering into His presence, we need to get to know more of His person. We need to acknowledge more of His power. But we need to submit more to His position. He hath put all things under his feet. Give him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. You know, whenever you and I come before the Lord, We can, I believe, rightly and capably affirm much of what we have dwelt upon already this morning. But it is in this final thought that we struggle so often, I believe. Because whilst we acknowledge, of course, that He is God and He is revealed in His Word and He was revealed in His Son. And as we read more of His Word and as we grow more and more in love with His Son and indeed increase in our likeness to His Son, then yes, we know more about Him. And then as we acknowledge and dwell upon the greatness of His power personally in our own lives, 
There we rejoice in the theme of salvation. We rejoice in the truth of our salvation. But when it comes to submitting more and more to his position as king of our lives, as the one who is the supreme and only head of the church, as the one who is preeminent in all things, then you and I, well, we struggle to fully embrace this. And that's because of our own natural and human tendencies. We don't like to share the limelight. We don't like, as it were, to be outside of the focus of attention. And what we do in life, we more readily wish to see as that which is more beneficial to our own lives and to what we're involved in. But whenever Christ was raised from the dead and whenever he ascended then to be with his Father, remember, we are told in Scripture that he's been given a name that is above every name. So it's greater than my name. It's greater than your name. We're told here also that he's far above all principalities, so it's very much true that he's ruler over all things. All things have been put under his feet, and he's given to be the head of all things, over all things, to the church. And so even what we do in a corporate sense, well, it's not about us, it's all about him. But where the struggle with that comes in our prayer life so often is in the submission that is seen as we arise from prayer. Because Paul here is praying a, a sincere and a pure-hearted prayer for, on behalf of believers that he personally knows in the churches around Ephesus. And as this, no doubt, was read in the various assemblies that made up the churches of that locality, he was expressing a desire that in their lives that they would acknowledge and submit to the position that Christ had. Very often in his writings, he testified of the truth that that behavior was not always found, not always a case. There were those who desired to have the preeminence in the assemblies to whom he wrote. There were those who found many and very different ways to disagree when, in the assemblies to which he wrote. There were those who sought to, to, as it were, enforce or implement their own desire and their own will in their lives or in the corporate life of the assemblies to which he wrote. And so whilst many of them could testify even of the truth that was found in Ephesians chapter 2, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, the fact that they had come to the knowledge of God and the knowledge of the love of God and they had known the life-changing experience of the grace of God, nevertheless failed to understand how that was to be implemented day by day. And it all centers around an inability to submit to his position. 
an unwillingness in our, in our hearts and our lives to truly leave our burdens with the Lord, to truly cast our care upon Him, to seek to remove our hand and to allow His perfect will to be done. The psalmist wrote, we live our years as a tale that is told. But for so many of us, we seek to write the ending. We seek to take control of the pen. We seek to take the place that is rightfully only God's. But to really enter into His presence, we must be willing to submit to Him. We must be willing to accept His will and His way even when it hurts, even when it's painful, even when it's unexplainable, we must be willing to say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. This morning, as we have in our hearts, I trust and I pray, a sincere desire to enter into the presence of God time after time, day after day, then I urge you not only get to know more of His person, acknowledge more of His power, but submit more to more, more and more to His position. And don't allow that final point to be the stumbling block which bars us from truly entering in. God has a plan for our lives. We've already touched upon it, a purpose that He desires us to fulfill in this world. But you and I will never know it. We'll never enter into it. We'll never fully fulfill it if we're not willing to submit to Him in everything. And so as we progress in this message of what it means to be in the presence of God, let those three guidelines frame our attitude as we come before Him in prayer. Let them guide us even as we seek to enter in. And may we overcome. And may we truly know his blessing as we seek his face. Father, we pray that thou would bless us as we seek to enter in. May it be true in our lives as it was in the lives of the believers at Ephesus that we grow more in our knowledge of thee. We're thankful for the thirst that there is in so many hearts for more of thy word, for a, a willingness and a desire to be more conformed to the image of thine own dear Son. We're thankful, Father, even for a greater contemplation time after time uh, upon the truth of what thou hast done on our behalf. But Lord, help us. Help us in every path of life. Help us in the changing seasons of life. Help us, O Lord, in the changing circumstances of life.
to be always willing to submit to the Master's will. May that not be the barrier to thy blessing that is found in our hearts and lives. But, O Lord, may it be our sincere desire that Christ would be seen, that Christ would rule, that Christ would reign, that Christ would have his own way. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. O for a closer walk with God, a calm and heavenly frame, or light to shine upon the road that leads me to the Lamb. If you're not remaining with us for the Lord's table, then after the first verse, feel free to exit. And may the Lord bless you as you go.